This episode of the PolicyViz podcast is brought to you by Jump's statistical discovery software from SAS. Jump's powerful, easy-to-use visualization capabilities allow you to both explore your data for hidden insights and create interactive graphics that tell a compelling story. Enhance your presentations with dynamic graphics powered by world-class analytics in Jump. Visit www.jmp.com to download a 30-day free trial to see for yourself how with Jump, data visualization and exploratory analysis go hand in hand. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. We're going to change things up a little bit this week. We've been talking with some uh, great folks in data journalism and some researchers in the policy area. Uh, this week, I'm excited to have researchers in the data visualization area. So I'm very excited to uh, have with me this week, Robert Kassara and Drew Scal. Uh, gents, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, or joining me, I should say, or the three of us, I guess. So why don't we start by having each of you sort of introduce yourselves and a little bit about your background. And then I want to talk about these series of studies that came out a few months ago about uh, how we perceive uh, and measure pie charts. So uh, Robert, why don't we start with you? Sure. So hi, I'm Robert Cosera. I'm a research scientist at Tableau Software and a former professor at UNC Charlotte. And uh, Drew is my last remaining PhD student. <laughs> We've been working together on a bunch of these, these studies. Hi, I'm Drew. Uh, I'm a product manager at Pivotus Ventures and I'm currently a PhD student at UNC Charlotte, finishing very soon. Very soon. Awesome. Good to hear. Well, let's just get right into it. So why don't I just let you guys talk about the papers? Two, and actually a third paper, right, Robert? You had, you had sort of uh, had a nice post on, on your site about the two uh, new papers and then had another post about a, an older one. So maybe I can just ask you to start talking about the new papers on pie charts. Sure. So we have to figure out who goes first. <laughs> so let me let me put a little historical context first here, and then I'll let Drew talk about, about his work. The, the thing about pie charts is that for a long time, people just may have had this idea that there's a certain way we read a pie chart, and that is that we look at the angle, the central angle at the at the center of a pie chart to to read that that opening angle basically of that slice to read the the value or the the fraction of the full circle that it represents. And that turns out to be based on a study, a very simple study really it turns out that was published in uh, nineteen twenty six. So uh, 90 years ago, and it hasn't really been questioned since then. And everybody just assumes that this is right, that we read pie charts that particular way. And we decided to question that. We decided to ask, well, is that actually true? And it turns out it's very likely not true. At least our evidence shows it fairly clearly. And because there are other, other possible visual cues there that you could be looking at. And so maybe Drew can take it from here and talk a little bit about the study and explain what he looked at and, and how this worked. Yeah, I think maybe I could start a little bit with the motivation for the study as well. In the later 2000s, early 2010s, um, infographics kind of became a thing on the web and really increased the prevalence of a lot of different visualizations and also increased the amount that designers were using all of these things. And designers often are um, ambitious with how much they adapt a chart to draw your eye into it. And so I started thinking about some of the ways that these adaptations might affect our ability to perceive the data in the chart, uh, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But to really answer that question, we needed to 
really need to dive into how we are perceiving the data in a chart and what uh, what visual factors are important in that. So designed a, a sort of study around that with uh, a few different chart variations based on the different variables that are what we see when we're looking at a chart. Um, so for a pie chart, you can see the arc length, uh, you can see the angle, and you can see the area. And each of those are encoding data and, and conveying it to you. Um, but which of those our visual system is actually being able to pick up and interpret accurately, it wasn't really clearly known. So the study was run on Mechanical Turk. Mechanical Turk is a platform um, put out by Amazon where you can hire um, people um, for what Amazon calls uh, HITS. Uh, HIT is a human intelligence task. So it's something where you are relying on a human brain to give you an answer to something, um, and you're being able to crowdsource this to many, many people. Signing up for an account is pretty easy. You can use your normal Amazon account, same login, but um, it's on a different system to some degree. So you can sign up as either a participant in hits like somebody who's actually doing work or you can sign up as somebody who is um, pushing studies out and getting results so Drew, before you go on to, for folks who who sort of aren't familiar with with mechanical turk what does the payment system look like if you either want to run a study or you know participate in a study how does how does that work and what do the fees look like and as an example like what would a, a researcher want to run a study who's never used the turk what would they sort of think about as a budget for for a project similar to what you, what you guys did Mm -hmm. So the best way to come up with a budget is uh, um, it's up to you what you pay people, um, but people will um, see the price ahead of time. uh, And so they'll be able to accept or reject a study based on whether or not they actually want to work for that Mm -hmm. rate. The way you should figure this out is to do a sort of pilot study with some people. Maybe if you're a researcher and you have a lab of people, do do some pilots with those people and see how long it takes them on average to complete your study. Um, figure out a good rate for that based on that. And so the way this actually works on, on Amazon is you set up how much you want to pay per hit. And then at the end of a person completing that hit, you can actually decide whether or not they earned the, the money or not. Um, and usually, like Robert and I, for these studies, we've been doing that based on a sort of threshold of correct answers and how correct they are. Um, so if somebody is getting over 30% of their answers incorrect by over a certain percentage, then we're sort of saying, like, they didn't actually answer the questions. They didn't mm-hmm. pay attention. Right. Um, and, and then rejecting their payment. But for the vast majority of uh, workers, they they actually pay attention and they, they want the money. They, they know that somebody's going to be checking this and they, they want to do a good job. So, And to give you a sense of, of numbers, so we usually aim to pay people the equivalent about, of about $10 an hour. So if, you're, if your task takes, I don't know, half an hour, then you would pay them five bucks. If it takes 15 minutes, you would pay them two fifty roughly. So that's kind of the, the, the rough idea. Right. And you can, you can usually get away with less than that, but it's just not considered good practice to to be paying people too little for these things mm-hmm. so it really it really does seem important then to be able to do a pilot um with oh, yeah. with yeah. with colleagues or, or or students in a lab definitely but also just to to test your own system to see if it actually mm-hmm. works <laughs> if you're getting the data that you want uh and also to see if the if if the effects that you're expecting looks like it might happen because otherwise there's no point in running the whole study mm-hmm. if, if you end up with nothing in the end. Right. Sorry, Drew, I interrupted. So you were in the process of setting up the Turk for, for this study. Right. So um, once you have that all set up, um, well, the, the way the study setup actually goes is you, um, 
I'm actually using a framework for these uh, developed by Lane Harrison. It's called Experimenter. Um, and it just provides a pretty easy setup of experiments. Um, it's even built for Mechanical Turks. So on Mechanical Turk, you set up a um, page that is asking for somebody's code, and they get a code from your study when they've completed it, and they input that, and that lets you connect their Amazon Worker ID to their actual results. Mm. Um, that way you can make sure that they actually did do the work and, and did follow through with the study. Um, an important thing to note is Amazon Worker IDs are not anonymous, so do not include those in your final data when you're publishing your results. It will make your participants visible. <laughs> right. Good Good. Good research tip from uh, from our IRB friend, Drew Scow. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. So, what did you ask people to do? Um, so, we asked people to answer uh, some questions uh, about these charts, basically asking them what the percentage displayed in the chart was and so they would just go through and do this for um, all these charts uh, all the chart variations that we asked for multiple times per each chart variation with um, several random variables added into that um, so for example there are potentially rotation effects that happened um, or alignment effects that happened for example if you had 25 percent that was aligned so the segment begins at the top of the chart, then it's really easy to see because you have a right angle. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to translate that into 25%. Um, so we would do things like randomly rotate the chart. And this, the reason to do this is because you don't always encounter um, perfectly aligned segments. Sometimes there's a, a, another segment in the chart that offsets it by a certain amount, a certain set of degrees. So controlled for a lot of variables like that, a lot of potential effects like that by randomly rotating. Um, and then also random quantities. Um, so we're getting charts that are all percentage values. Then doing that for each chart type. So we had, in, in the first study, we had uh, six chart types. So we had a standard pie chart. We had a donut chart, which uh, had a uh, reasonable width for the for the thickness of the donut itself. We had a very thin donut chart, which is basically just a line in a circle. Had an area chart where the the circle was split in two regions with a straight line, and that straight line would um, shift across the circle so that we would you'd have a, a percentage represented by the a blue area and a gray area. Um, and then also two angle charts, one for donuts and one for pies. And the the donut chart, um, the donut angle chart has no center connection point to the two lines that make up the angle. Mm -hmm. um, these two lines also have um, indicators showing you which side of the angle you're looking at. So if you imagine just two lines that come together to make an angle, you need to know which side of that is important. Mm -hmm. um, and so these triangles sort of indicated which direction we were looking to. This is all a bit difficult to, to imagine if you hadn't seen this before. So perhaps there are going to be some links somewhere yeah. to, to point to some images because this is all... Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll put some possibly I guess to the yeah. right now. No, I'll put some pictures. I'll put some pictures on the site on the show page. But basically, you have more or less different types of pie charts, different types of of chart types, and you basically have one blue slice and the rest is gray. Um, and asking people to discern the quantities. So let me ask a, a couple of questions on the on the approach. So I think one thing that happens when we look at when we look at pie charts out in the 
in the wild, right? Is that we see a pie chart with some number of slices and they're all sort of given the same saturation in the color. It's not sort of like a blue and then a gray. When you're doing this study, were you thinking about trying to hone in just on this particular aspect of uh, reading a pie chart as opposed to what we sort of all generally see out in the wild? Definitely. The goals here were to test the different um, sort of visual variables that go into a pie chart. And so we wanted to be very clear which segment we were asking about so that we, we got the right. We weren't confusing people with other variables. We wanted it to be very clear that this is the segment there. Right. Being asked to answer about. Okay. And so let's just say general terms for folks who haven't read the papers. The basic findings are as as what? So basically we found that uh, – so there were several things that we could test here. Um, the One of the primary ones was that donut charts are less useful than pie charts and less accurate than pie charts because they are missing that central – Point where the two angles, where the two lines connect to form the angle, and then sort of broader version of that same hypothesis is that um, that the angle is important in our ability to interpret pie charts. And what we found is that the angle actually has very low uh, accuracy, whereas the area and the arc lengths are both much more accurate in comparison to angle. So donut charts are actually fine to use anytime you would actually use a pie chart; um, they're interchangeable. And that uh, angle is not a critical feature in our ability to ability to interpret the data inside of pie donut charts. Hmm. So let me zoom out a little bit. So um, as you both know, pie charts tend to be a fairly controversial topic in the data visualization field, to say the least. So let me make this a two-part question. So are either of you sort of um, extremists when it comes to uh, using pie charts, sort of like, you know, the Stephen Few side of no, never, 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 or, you know, sort of the other side who, I don't know, maybe David McCandless might be the, an example of, you know, sometimes they're okay. I don't know who the, I don't know who the extreme other example is, but, and then has the study changed your position on whether people should or should not use pie charts? Robert, why don't we start with you? Well, yeah, so I, I'm certainly not um, in any of those extremes, but, and I, I have no personal agenda to sell you on, on pie charts or anything like that. But the point is that we need to understand the things we use or that, that people out there use. And it's, it's problematic for the biz community to just say, oh, we don't like pie charts, so we're not even going to look at them and not even figure out if, if what we think about them is actually true. So that I think is important, and that's really why I think this is important work. Because, and I have, I have a little uh, position paper coming up at the Belief Conference at the VizCon at, at Viz, that where I'm going to talk about that about about the fact that visualization has kind of a set of of things that we we think and that we like to think, mm-hmm. but we need to really question them a whole lot more. And so this is just one of them. And then I, I think in terms of like just whether to use them or not, it certainly easier now to make the case that when there is a thing where you, where you have data that, that sums up to 100% and you don't have a lot of slices potentially in your in your pie chart, they're perfectly good. And especially the, the donut chart, which can be quite useful, is just as good as the pie chart. I mean, that's what we, that's what we actually found. This doesn't see anything comparing pie charts to bar charts, for example. 
But when it comes to, but yeah, so, so I'm, I'm not going to try and right. speculate about more research here, but there's certainly some work that looks at like, what's the difference between when I have things that add up to 100% and I'm looking at a fraction, should I use bars or should I use a pie or things like that? And in this case, I think the pie is a perfectly valid choice. So I think what we found here is much more about kind of the underlying mechanism than, right. than comparing pies to other chart types. Yeah, that's an important point that, that you are not... Uh, these papers are not saying that pie charts are better that are better or worse than other chart types. You're comparing within this class of pie charts, but not sort of pies to bars or other types. Um, Drew, what about you? Are you a uh, have you been a pie chart hater? I would not call myself a pie chart hater. Okay, all right. Um, but I, I also wouldn't say I'm necessarily an extreme pie chart com- proponent or anything. Uh-huh. Um, I think that there are definitely tasks they are appropriate for, and there are tasks that they are inappropriate for, and. As a designer or data visualizer or journalist or anybody potentially using these charts, it's it's your duty to understand when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I know a lot of people I've talked to have read the paper, so um, and they are quite interesting. And I'll and I'll put uh, all of them on on the show page. Um, before we close up, I want to turn to um, things you're working on next, Drew, uh, Robert. I, I noticed you, you just mentioned this paper you have coming up in Viz. Um, any other projects you, you guys are working on, either uh, together or, or separately, that that you want to touch on? Sure. Together, Robert and I are working on similar studies for bar charts, where we're really examining the the visual variables that are the most important to our perception of those. Um, so we're looking at things like. Um, how strong the line that ends the bar is and whether or not that's important or how critical it is that the bar itself is even visible or is it just the end point of the bar that's important. So given that you're taking the the pie chart paper and now applying it to bar charts, what I'm hearing from you, from both of you, is this sort of belief more or less that the data visualization research field has sort of come up with these arbitrary rules, but is not really rooted in a strong research base. Um, and if there is any research, it's either from the 1920s or it's very thin. So, you know, how... Well, that's, that's overstating things a little bit. To an extent, that's true. For some things, it's true. But there certainly is a lot of research out there that looks at comparisons of different kinds of chart types and, like, bars where they're stacked or grouped or, or things like that. There has been some work on that, but it's, there are still lots of gaps and there are lots of very fundamental things we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that there are things that need to be filled in that we either just kind of gloss over or that we're just kind of now seeing because we're like, oh, we know that bar charts are better than pie charts for precision, for example. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking deeper questions like why is that or which part makes a difference, then those are things that we haven't really tackled. I agree with that. And I think that the the real goal with this research is to sort of set a foundation of understanding the mechanisms that are working in these charts so that we can maybe begin to set some generalizable rules about what is good practice and what is not good practice. And, uh, it's also interesting, though, because in my experience with the data visualization research literature, which is which is admittedly not as in-depth as it is with as I am with economics, um, but I find this every time I go to the Viz conference that there are a lot of studies out there where, uh, you know, people have, you know, they interview six or 10 or 12 people and they give some standard errors and I sort of sigh and roll my eyes. And I know a lot of that's expensive to do. Um, but it seems like there are now resources and tools like the Mechanical Turk where there's now an opportunity to sort of build upon an existing research base and take it even that next step forward. Is that, that more or less accurate? To say something like that? Oh, yeah, certainly. So the thing, our studies all had, I think, about 80 people in them. 
That's that's correct, but somewhere in that range. So it's fairly easy to have. We, we normally we would target over a hundred, mm-hmm. around a hundred, and then yeah. you lose data as a result of various reasons. Right. But it's certainly much easier today to run a study that's in that range of 80 or 100 or more than 100 people than you would in a lab where you have to spend time with each individual person. You have to recruit them. You have to schedule time with them and so on. Whereas a Mechanical Turk, you just throw the thing out there and it's very likely if you pay enough and if it's not super tedious that you're going to have 100 people within 24 hours and often much faster than that. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Um Robert, any other research you have uh, that you're working on? Do you want to expand on this uh, this paper coming out with for uh, for Viz in the fall? Um, sure. So I have a few other things that are related, but I don't want to talk about those too much right now. But uh, there is one thing that, that there's the Believe Workshop that's spelled B E. L-I-B um, is, is a workshop at, at VIS that's been going on for a while and it's about evaluating visualization in different ways and I have to and they have research papers and what they call position papers and so I have a position paper which is a bit like a blog posting uh, where I'm basically saying that we need to ask deeper questions and I raise a whole bunch of these issues like I look at a, a number of papers that have been shown to have limitations or issues like one example just to give you another example other than pie charts there is uh, one one idea that's been around in visualization for a while is called banking to 45 degrees Mm -hmm. which means that the average slope of a line chart should be 45 degrees so that which is basically supposed to be the best way the best aspect ratio for a line chart and that is based on a study that that that, uh, bill cleveland did in the 1980s and it's been accepted as fact for a long time and the but the thing is that a few years ago and i forget the exact year but i think four years ago or so my colleague, or now colleague, but then he was a student at Stanford, Justin Talbot, looked at this and he found that the analysis that was the basis for this was had some limitations in the range of values they had tested. And he actually found that the, the, the best ratio for a line chart is a much lower angle. So it's more like 20 degrees or something like that. Mm. And so that kind of thing where we need to question, is that really the correct? Is that is, is what we think? And it looks good. Right? I mean, a, a 45 degree uh, angle is, it looks good on paper and looks good as a, as a display. But is this actually the best slope to use for, for line comparisons, for example? And of course, the thing that happens with, with his finding is that he still says banking to 45 degrees is a good idea because those very low angles have other problems. Like you don't actually see much change because the angle is so low. But if you're look, looking at what Cleveland was looking at originally was comparing two slopes in, in that chart, then the best performance you will get is at a much lower angle than that. And so there, and there are a number of those. I have like half a dozen or so in that paper. And I'm trying to basically say, look, guys, we need to look at these things a bit more deeply and really question them and not just cite the papers in our own work, mm-hmm. but really revisit them and see if they really hold up and, and then hopefully change our, our views if we find that that's not the case. Right. You have just well defined the uh, the res- the scientific process, Robert. I think that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it's a science, then there's a process to it. So um, right. that's great. Well, um, well, good luck to both of you on the next on the next set of papers. Um, these uh, these pie chart papers are are really interesting, and uh, I hope folks will will take a look and read them. So, um, Robert, Drew, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, this has been really interesting. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jen. And thanks to everyone for tuning in this week. 
Uh, please let me know what you think about the show, uh, suggestions, comments, uh, other folks you want to hear from. Um, and please do rate the show on iTunes, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast provider. So until next time, this has been the Policy of Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Jump's statistical discovery software from SAS. Jump's powerful, easy-to-use visualization capabilities allow you to both explore your data for hidden insights and create interactive graphics that tell a compelling story. Enhance your presentations with dynamic graphics powered by world-class analytics in Jump. Visit www.jmp.com to download a 30-day free trial to see for yourself how with Jump, data visualization and exploratory analysis go hand in hand.